Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downey. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream from the Paul Korea Studio. I am your host, Alexis Downey. Thank you so much for tuning in for episode 87 this week and this Anaheim Ducks offseason. There's not a whole lot going on around the Ducks this week. A bit quieter than last week compared to the NHL draft lottery. But I feel like overall this next month, it's just going to be all about inching closer to that upcoming NHL draft at the end of the month in June in Nashville. And like I said previously, I'm going to have plenty of content on that as it gets closer. But as for international hockey today, the current world championship is ongoing right now. And the preliminary round began on Friday, May 12th, and it's going to continue through Tuesday, May 23rd. Now, the medal games will not be played until Sunday, May 28th. So kind of a long tournament for all of the players that are playing in it. And as mentioned in last week's episode by Corey Pronman, some of those guys include Leo Carlson on Sweden and Adam Fantilli, who is is representing Canada, two possible candidates for the Ducks as they get closer to the draft with their number two pick. So make sure to keep your eye on them as it's only been a few games played so far for each of them, but definitely something to watch out for. And honestly, at this point, I think we should just get into all of the playoff action that has been happening this week because the second round finished up. The conference finals are set and we are just so close to the Stanley Cup final. Only four teams remaining. I think that the teams that are left, in a way, they're not surprising that they're there because they did have regular season success. But the journey to get there for some of them has been quite interesting and quite difficult as well, too. So let's start in the East today with the Florida Panthers and Toronto Maple Leafs. This finished up last Friday on May 12th with the Panthers getting a 3-2 overtime win. And it took 15 minutes and 32 seconds into overtime for Nick Cousins on the Panthers to net the game winner. Only his second goal in the playoffs and obviously the most important one for him as well. Let's hear the call now from Doug Plagans at Scotiabank Arena. Up the right wing, puts it out in front, cut off nicely by Radko Gudis getting back. And Gudis will lead the charge now, three on two for the Panthers. Here's Cousins over the offensive line, left circle, Cousins, front of the net, shot, he scores! Nick Cousins ends the game, ends the series, 3-2 in overtime. The Panthers win it, they take the series in five, and the Florida Panthers are going to the Eastern Conference Final! 3-2 in overtime, the Panthers get it done! What a finish! And it's on the 44th shot of the night that Nick Cousins ends the game, ends the series, and it's off to the Eastern Conference Final for the Florida Panthers for the first time since 1996. And the Panthers will meet the Carolina Hurricanes in the next round. Now for Florida, by no surprise, Matthew Kachuk was the points leader through this series with 16 points. 
He has truly been such a staple for the Panthers all regular season and through these playoffs as well. Such a fun player to watch. One of my favorites probably through the playoffs. On the other end, though, Sergei Bobrovsky in the net had 50 saves in game five, just coming up huge. He had a great series against Toronto in each of the games that he played. And now through the playoffs, he holds a seven and two record. So pretty impressive and certainly helping the Panthers with their success. Now, I think a big part of this series, too, was that. Florida was able to win this in five games. They almost swept Toronto, but Toronto did win game four to force that final fifth game. And it was certainly going to be difficult for the Maple Leafs to come back from there. But the Panthers, like I said, just getting it done. And once again, there's a reason that they won the president's trophy last year. We just have to remember how good they were last year. Even though they got the second wild card spot in the East this year, they are looking like that team we kind of saw last year, obviously with some different pieces as well. One of those being Kachuk. Now the other matchup in the East also finished up in five games, the Carolina hurricanes and the New Jersey devils, the hurricanes winning three to two in overtime in game five to close out the series four to one. And that was last Thursday now, it was on a power play in overtime on a delay of game penalty for the Devils that gave the Canes the opportunity to put the game away. And it was Jesperi Kotkaniemi who had the shot that Jesper Foss tipped in to send the Canes to the conference finals. Listen to Mike Maniscalco call the power play goal from PNC Arena. Making it across. Drury, Gostasper. Back for Drury, back to Gostas there at the left point. Now Code Kaniemi, top of the right circle. His shot, they score! Yes, Now, one of the things that stood out to me about Carolina in this series was the offensive power that they showed throughout it. I mean, the first four games included at least five or more goals in each of them for the Hurricanes. And I think on the other side, on the defensive end, one of the unsung heroes for the Hurricanes right now is Jacob Slavin, the defenseman. I found this really cool stat from the Kane stats on Twitter, and it says that Jacob Slavin has been on the ice for 213 minutes and 57 seconds through the playoffs at 5v5. Now, he has been on the ice for 16 goals, four, and he's been on the ice for four goals against. That is just one goal against for every 53 minutes. That is extremely impressive and certainly a reason that the Canes have stayed solid on the defensive end. Now in the East, the conference final that we are going to see is the Florida Panthers and Carolina Hurricanes. The first time that Florida has been in the conference final since 1996, and they are a tough and gritty team. I mean, they had to get through the Boston Bruins and then the Toronto Maple Leafs to get to this point, and they did it. They did it with not necessarily ease in the first round, but being able to get over that hump of taking down the Boston Bruins and then 
getting through Toronto as quickly as they did, just so impressive. It's hard to think that they can be slowed down right now, but the Hurricanes might be the team to do it. They are really hard to play against and just built for this moment, even without some of their top forwards. So to talk more about this matchup and the Carolina Hurricanes, we were really happy to welcome on Mike Maniscalco on Tuesday to chat about how the Hurricanes got to this point and if they are ready to take on a tough Florida Panthers team. Take a listen. Joining Light the Lamp now is Bally Sports broadcaster for the Carolina Hurricanes, Mike Maniscalco. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today in this busy week that you're having. Oh, anytime, Alexis. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so looking at the last five years of the playoffs for the Hurricanes, I mean, the team is back in the conference finals for the first time since 2019. What is the difference in this group now compared to that team a couple years ago? Uh, I think it's, I mean, I could say the, the obvious answer is that, you know, they're, they're five years older, so more experience that comes with it through the playoffs. That's, that's the obvious one and, and the one that you could go with. But for me, when you take a look at the biggest difference between this team from five years ago to now, they expect to be here. In 2019 was a great run. You know, they knocked off the defending Stanley Cup champion, Washington Capitals. They had the sweep of the Islanders. And it's kind of the, you know, not the what are we doing here, but ahead of schedule kind of deal. And sometimes, you know, that ride ends abruptly and it did then. This team expects to be here. This team knows what playoff hockey is about. You know, they've tried to go through the Tampa Bay Lightning. Newsflash, they've been pretty good for the last four or five years. You know, they had to go through the Bruins a couple of times. They had hurdles. They had mountains they had to climb. Well, once the only way you can get past them is that experience of going through it. So really it is the experience that they've been here, but it's also, it sounds cliche, but it's the attitude of, no, they, they expected to be here. They know now what it takes as opposed to you hear that from time to time. Oh, we're just happy to be here. This team, uh, I will, I've said this a, a whole bunch of times. They are enjoying this, mm -hmm. but in no way are they satisfied right now to be in the Eastern conference final where maybe a couple of years ago, there's that slight satisfaction. Oh, you know, we won this round. We won that round. That's that's not evident with this team right now. So going back more towards the beginning of the season, knowing that this team had so much potential going into it, what was the message throughout the year to kind of motivate them as they looked towards the postseason? It's it's real simple. They know what the prize is and they want it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rod Brindamore, in full disclosure, you and I talked off there. So he's a Spartan. So, you know, the Spartan <laughs> way, uh, but yes. it's he, Rod is, it's amazing what he's done as a head coach where he can lay out what the goal is about, but they never looked past the game that was in front of them. And uh, again, there, there's a mission with this team and the mission was we're going to the Stanley Cup. We are going to be a championship team. And so when you go back to the start of the year, you know, this is the third straight division that they've won. They have the second best record in the NHL. That's not what they're playing for. Mm -hmm. the, the focus has been singular. It has been just we are in this to be the last team standing. So I don't want to say that it's easy to define it, but that has been what their attitude is about. And the amazing thing about this team if they win a game six to one and, you know, everybody wants to say how great they are, they're the same when they're up five as when they're down five. They, they play the exact same way. And that really is the strength of this club. 
And they've certainly dealt with a handful of tough injuries through this playoffs. And it's shown a lot of truly the depth that the Canes have. I mean, how much have they been able to rely on that as they've moved through these playoffs? Well, you know, that's, that's, I think it goes to one, the players and, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I hate, I keep giving you all these cliche answers, but they're <laughs> cliches. They're cliches for a reason because they're true. Mm-hmm. But the next man up mentality with this team, it's, it's something that it's not just, Oh, somebody says it. And then they plug in a guy and he only plays four minutes a night. If somebody gets put in the, the lineup, they're expected to. And that goes to me, I think the front office in how they identified, this is how we play. These are the players we need to have outside of who's on the NHL roster. Who do you sign? to go play for the AHL team. Who have you, who are you drafting who you can bring up and move up through the ranks? So you look at players like Jack Drury, who started the year in Chicago. You look at players like Mackenzie McEachern, who gets called into this postseason. Mackenzie McEachern didn't play one game for the Hurricanes this year in the regular season. Started off the year injured in Chicago. But when he gets his, his number tapped in game number four, of the first round of the playoffs against the Islanders, he steps on the ice and gets a goal and an assist. So um, I think it, it comes into, and Stefan Nason, who last year scored 48 goals with the Chicago Wolves and mm-hmm. helped the, the Canes AHL team win the, the Calder Trophy or the Calder Cup uh, to do that. He talked about the system, and I got to paraphrase him, so I don't want him to get mad at me, but it's he basically talked about the system, saying if you can't play for this, you can't play. It's, quote, idiot proof or, you know, it's mm-hmm. like hockey dummies. You come in, you do your job. You don't have to change anything you do. Uh, and I think that's what helps, but there is that, uh, I'll use a, a corporate buzzword, the synergy mm-hmm. of <laughs> what the NHL team is teaching is what the NHL team plays. So guys are ready for it. But, you know, there's also a, a specific type of player that this organization targets and goes after. And the way that it's coached from the, the preseason all the way through the regular season. These guys know what they're supposed to do. They know what's expected of them, and you see it in the results. You talk about that specific type of player. I mean, Tavo Taravainen has been out since he injured his hand, and he's already back on the ice skating. Is it a surprise to you to see someone like him already, you know, getting ready to potentially make a return, you know, back into the playoffs, but having that mindset that he he could possibly even do it? No, no, it, it doesn't. And then that's thank you for this, because now I can give uh, give credit to head athletic trainer Dougie Bennett and, and Matty Aiello and the training staff. And, you know, all you know, all the people behind the scenes who never get mm-hmm. the attention that just tells you in the doctors, the team doctors that Carolina has. It's everybody's on this page of how can we how can we help this team get better? And then Bill Berniston, the head strength and conditioning coach, making sure that if there's a player who's been injured, you know, is he is he staying up to speed, doing the things he can do off the ice uh, when it comes time to put the uniform back on? But, no, it, it, it doesn't surprise me. And, look, it, this is the playoffs. So mm-hmm. uh, if it, it's always been the if, if I'm breathing, I'm going to I'm going to find <laughs> a way to play. Yep. And, and I think when you when you're on a run like this and especially if you're your table terrifying and it was part of a cup championship in Chicago, the hardest thing to do is be on the sidelines for it. So if you feel you can get back on the ice, uh, you'll you'll find a way. What does that mean for the Hurricanes? When does he get into the lineup? Um, again, these are questions that, are, that still need to be answered. Here's the luxury for Carolina. The way that they've played, he can take his time. He doesn't have to feel like he needs to rush to get back in the lineup, and the team doesn't feel like they have to rush him back either. So they're in a good spot right now. But I think it just points into there's there's a lot to it. 
but it, it also points into the I want to be part of this team. You know, I'm, I'm as soon as I get a green light, okay, I'm, I'm going to be on the ice practicing and ready to go. So, Mike, one of my favorite storylines for this upcoming conference finals is the Stahl brothers. I mean, the three Stahl brothers getting to play against each other in a playoff series for the first time in their careers. Have you had a chance to sit down with Jordan and ask ask him what it's going to be like playing against his his brothers on the Panthers? Uh, I I have not yet, but everybody else has. So I've been around <laughs> it when he's been asked. So it hasn't been a direct for me. But you know, he's excited about this, and it, as well he should be. You know how how cool is it that three brothers mm -hmm. uh, from Thunder Bay, Ontario, that it's it's going to stink when the series is over for two of them. Mm -hmm. Just putting that out there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I caught that. It, yeah, thank you. I, I, I wasn't sure if I should keep going or not, but no, it's. I think it's for that this family, and I've, I've been around the family, and we've talked to Jordan before about, you know, playing. He's had to play against his brother in the playoffs, or he's had to play against his brother in big games. And Eric has had to play against Eric had to play against Jordan in 2009 in, in the playoffs when Eric was mm -hmm. the captain for the Hurricanes and Jordan was in Pittsburgh. So they've had they've had that matchup before. Of course, uh, they were both no pointed out much younger than, and thinking there'd be more of those. Um, but it's just, for me, it's a great little storyline that comes into it, but they're such a good family that no matter how it turns out, whoever's moving on, the other is going to be, and the others are going to be cheering for them. You know, it's not going to be one of those things, but in between the, the boards, when that puck is dropped, I can tell you, there is uh, very few things in this world that are more ferocious than brothers going after each other <laughs> with something on the line. So uh, I want to see after game one. You know, when Jordan lines up and he looks across and there's Eric, you know, talking to him in the faceoff circle, how that goes. But um, they, they played against each other before. So not with these stakes really to this point, but at least with all three of them. But it's, it's a great story. And it's great for us because it mm -hmm. gives us something else to throw a little bit more spice onto the series, which should be a really good series. So what are you expecting to maybe see from this series against the Panthers? I mean, obviously ousting them a little bit in the regular season, but going into the playoffs, like you just said, it's just a completely different setting. Well, I mean, when you, you take a look at what this Florida team has done, coming down from 3-1 to beat Boston, how they handled the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, those are two teams that heading into the playoffs, people were predicting to win the Stanley Cup. And I think we all forgot how good Florida was. And from last year, but they realized they needed to make some changes. And when you make changes, sometimes it, it takes a second or two for everything to fall in place. Second half of the season, I think it really fell into place for this Florida team. Like, okay, they're they finally got it. And you know, I think for me, what I'm excited about is is matchups that you're gonna get. And we talked about the brother versus brother, but you know, Alexander Barkoff versus Sebastian Ajo, and, you know, Jacob Slavin. And Matthew Kachuk, you know, when that defensive pair is out, you know, Matthew Kachuk is an agitator. Mm -hmm. Jacob Slavin, nothing bothers him. I mean, it's he was asked about that today and I talked to him about it. And he's just basically like, you know, is it easy to turn away when somebody's trying to go? Yeah, for me, it is. because that's, <laughs> it's, that's it. So I wonder if him turning away will then frustrate Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. It's like those little things, you know, will Brandon Montour, who was, you know, like the shoe in for the Con Smythe after the Boston series. Does he step up his game? How about Brent Burns for the Hurricanes and and what he was able to do? You know, the Canes brought him in for this, and he had five assists in the first series, and then he started to pick it up in the goal scoring department against New Jersey in the last two games. And you know, th there's so many little things that uh, I'm looking at, but also 
Here's another one. Paul Maurice, Alex, former coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, was the head coach for all three members of the Carolina Hurricanes coaching staff. He was the head coach for Rod Brindamore, head coach for, for Jeff Daniels. So there's there's that little plot line that comes into this. So, um, But for me, I think these are two teams that are extremely well coached, that play the game hard. And I, I'm expecting this to be a long series. There's, there's no way this thing is over in four or five. This is six and, and probably seven. So I'm just looking forward to what do we see in game one and then the adjustments that these teams make, the little chess match that goes on once the series gets going. On the goaltending end, Frederick Anderson has been outstanding for the team th- so far through this playoffs. Um, how much stability has he provided on the back end through this playoffs? No, you know, when he got called in to uh, get into the, and basically be the closer mm-hmm. uh, against the New York Islanders and put the performance on the ice that he did in game six and then carrying it over. And, and even if you take a look at that, you know, the the blip on the radar, the game three in, in New Jersey, you can't really fault him for a lot of the goals that happened in, in that weird, you know, it was a, a game that I tried to sum up and it's kind of hard to do. It's one of the hardest, uh, one of the poorest defensive performances the Canes had. So I don't know if you could judge him on that, but when he is right, and I know Ducks fans know this, he's as good as any goaltender in the league. And he provides such a calmness. Like I, I always joke, Alexis, I don't know if his heartbeat gets above like 50. Like he's just so calm. And uh, I just remember the story of uh, Brady Shea went back and he, I tapped him on the pads and I went, oh, it's okay, Freddie. And he goes, yeah, I know. He goes, he goes, I figured he'd be upset. He's like, no, it would have been like if he made a save. It was the same reaction. So he's uh, he's just for a guy that big to move as fluid and as calm. And you know when he's locked in, the other team's going to have a tough night. And when you talk about stability, that's exactly what the Kane signed him for mm-hmm. two years ago from Toronto. They they brought him in for this to be the the guy in the playoffs. And, you know, the good thing now for Carolina, they have such faith in their goaltending, be it Freddie or be it Auntie Ronto, or even if they have to turn to Piotr Kochetkov, mm-hmm. uh, they, they play the same in front of them. And I think that I, that's an invaluable thing. When you, you know you can trust the system and the goalies behind you are going to make the saves. But Freddie brings a certain level of calmness because, and I don't call him Fredzilla because he's tiny. You know, he's <laughs> they got a monster back there. And when he gets going, uh, the, the team knows that he can bail them out if and when they have a breakdown. So obviously you've been very busy with following the Hurricanes through this playoffs, but have you had a chance to watch much of the Western Conference and knowing the Dallas and Vegas series that's going to happen in the Western Conference final? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm this is if you if you don't become a hockey junkie at this time of year, come on, what are you doing? This is what it's all <laughs> right. about. Absolutely. I, I I, I have not stayed up for like all of the overtimes mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. I got to get some rest here and there, but uh, I've, I've watched pretty much uh, when it comes to the Dallas series, almost the, all of the Dallas Seattle series. And, mm-hmm. you know, how can you, you not watch, this was what the NHL envisioned, you know, how many years ago when Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel were drafted one and two that you were, I'm sure they were hoping for a Stanley cup final between those two. At least I know Buffalo was, um, but you, you've got that series finally. And, out West, um, I just I like this Dallas team. I, I like how they're built. I like from the goal out with how they play. They're big. They can score. They have a youth movement already without having to rebuild. When you've got players like 
you know, Jason Robertson and Wyatt Johnson at 20 years old in a day. And he scores that goal. <laughs> that turns out to be the game winner in game seven. You know, they're, they're so good on the back end. I, I look at Dallas. I just love how they're built. But then you look at Vegas and they have all that scoring up front. They're nasty on the back end. Uh, and, and if they get any kind of goaltending, which Aiden Hill, and if anybody raises their hand saying that Aiden, they had Aiden Hill taking the Golden Knights to this point, put it down. You're not, you're not being truthful with us. Uh, but this is a matchup where I really think special teams will mm-hmm. dictate it. If Vegas can get their power play going, that's going to be trouble for Dallas. But I, I just look at what Dallas has. I just like how that team's built, uh, how they're constructed. And Peter DeBoer has done a really great job behind the bench. And look, so is Bruce Cassidy with mm-hmm. Vegas. I mean, think about it. These these guys have moved behind the bench for this year, and they've gotten their teams to the conference finals. So that's pretty darn good. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today on Duck Stream, and best of luck to the Canes in this next series. Well, thank you. And uh, if any Ducks fans want a team to cheer for in the Eastern <laughs> Conference, get, get on the train. It's a good train to be on. We'd love to have you. <laughs> on and, the other uh, coast. Uh, yeah, exactly. Just fly cross coast. We'll be good. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Now, the second round in the Western Conference finished up taking just a bit longer, beginning with the Seattle Kraken and Dallas Stars. This series took seven games and it finished up in game seven in Dallas on Monday. This series was so much fun to watch. Great physicality, skilled hockey from both sides. Truly an impressive playoff run by the Kraken in just their second season. And ultimately, I think what happened for this one is Seattle just fell behind too often to catch up. And Dallas won game seven, two to one. So it was a close one in that final game. But the 20-year-old Wyatt Johnston would be the one to net the game winner at 12.48 in the third period. Let's listen to the call from Josh Bogorod for the Stars. Off of Tolvin and into the Dallas zone. Thomas Harley is there. And now Hanley. Alexiak kept it in the zone for Seattle. Puck underneath the Stars' end line. Worked over to Dodonov. He'll flip it all the way down the ice. First to it is Wyatt Johnston. And a backhand. He scores! What a shot! What a shot! Wyatt Johnston upstairs. And with 7-12 left in the third period, how big is that? Makes it a 2-0 lead. And then also in the West, on the contrary, this one only took six games with the Vegas Golden Knights winning the series 4-2 over the Edmonton Oilers and putting Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl out of the playoffs after an impressive season that they had. Now, it was a 5-2 win on Sunday for the series for Vegas. And in that game on Sunday, Jonathan Marchessault put on a show, netting three goals for the hat trick to keep the Golden Knights ahead. Dan Duva has the call of Marchessault's third goal. One penalty about to expire. It's now four on four again. Petrangelo left. Marchessault shoots. He scores! It's a hat trick for Marchessault. The Knights have a 4-2 lead with a minute 24 to go in the second period. It's the second playoff hat trick for Jonathan Marchessault. Three goals in this period for Marchessault, and the Knights have their largest lead of the day.
Now, I think the Oilers just had a tough time scoring at even strength. That is what definitely hurt them in this series. Even though the man advantage for them was really great, their power play looking absolutely elite. Vegas outscored them at even strength 18 to 9 through the series. As you can see, that number certainly hurting Edmonton. And then also on the goaltending end, it just wasn't that great for Edmonton, whereas Aiden Hill had a fantastic series in the net for Vegas. Now in the West, that leaves us with the Vegas Golden Knights taking on the Dallas Stars, a rematch of the 2020 Conference Finals from the bubble, if you guys remember it, where Dallas eventually went on to the Stanley Cup Final, taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, we're definitely in for a fast-paced Conference Final in the West, both of these teams having plenty of depth and size. I think... Both series between the East and the West are going to be great games of hockey. So to talk more about the Western Conference Final for our second guest of today's show, Ashley Weiss joined us on Wednesday to talk about the series. In just her second year with Vegas, Ashley shared how the year was for hockey in Las Vegas, plus some of her personal connection to this playoff series. Enjoy the interview. Let's welcome on to Light the Lamp now, Ashley Weiss, the Vegas Golden Knights rinkside reporter. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's the best time of year, so thanks for having me. I'm always willing to hop, hop on and talk some playoff hockey, that's for sure. So this was your second year with Vegas. I'm curious to know how it ended and you know what you learned from year one to year two. Uh, that's a good question. Um, it's uh, a lot of fun, obviously. Um, it's a, a role that I always dreamed of having um, to be part of the part of the TV broadcast for the team. It's definitely, uh, you know, come round after round one, we no longer have the broadcast. So it's more a team driven content, which is always fun in itself. I'm still traveling with the team. So really lucky to do all of that, but definitely miss calling the games on TV. Uh, I think all of us do, as you know, we, we do this because we love what we do so much. So that's the only part uh, they get a little bit, uh, you know, sometimes you're in the middle of the action and you're all excited and you're like, oh, I wish I was doing a walk off interview or whatever it might be. Um, but, you know, I, I've really learned in terms of the hockey side of things, how small the margin is between a team who can miss the playoffs versus a team who, you know, many see as having the potential to go all the way. Because mm -hmm. last year, uh, health, a big, big, big problem for the Golden Knights. Um, you know, they ended up not making the playoffs for the first time in their short history, but still, um, and it came down to that very last week and had they been healthy, uh, last year, at least even a little bit healthier, I think, uh, it would be a different story. Um, but yeah, now you see, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the same players, the roster in itself, isn't that much different from last year. Um, and now you're, you're kind of seeing what that roster can really do with just a, a few key additions. And they really had a bounce back year this year, sitting atop the Western Conference. What impressed you the most about how the group came together throughout the season? Yeah, I think people point to depth. It can kind of be uh, an overused term, I guess, uh, but it's something that really stood out with this team this year. Um, you're talking from the goaltending position in particular, they used five different goaltenders this season and goalie injuries are still a topic for this team. And every goalie that has come in has been able to hold his own. Uh, and then even like, uh, the fourth line was like a big story for this team all year because they were productive all year. Haven't been as productive offensively in the playoffs, but like even through injury, that fourth line was constantly changing yet, no matter who was on it, it's like they were finding a, fighting a way to come through. 
Um, so I think that's probably what's impressed me the most is it really has been on any given night. You don't know who the hero story is going to be. Uh, and you really get a sense that the room is really, really close. Um, they have a lot of fun, even, you know, game six in Edmonton was obviously uh, should have been really businesslike. And it was, don't get me wrong. They were taking it seriously, but they were still like, you know, hollering on the ice, like chirping each other uh, mm-hmm. during morning skate, all of that. So I think just uh, A, the depth and B, the way that they all come together uh, off the ice as well. Those are the two things that have stood out to me the most. It's been really fun to see. Now, there was obviously a leader change at the top as the head coach position this year, Bruce Cassidy coming in. How has his coaching style kind of adapted to the group in the locker room as well? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, He came in a completely different defensive system. Mm -hmm. And I think what shows you how much respect the players have for him is how quickly they bought into that system. It took him a while to get it all down. I think that's why the the second half of the season, you saw a much more consistent team uh, than you did early on. Um, But, you know, they, they know that what he does works. They saw, even though he was let go in Boston, uh, they were such a successful Bruins team for so many years under him. And I, uh, I think, you know, this isn't, doesn't have to do with uh, the impact he has on the locker room necessarily, but you get the sense anytime you talk to him, whether it's a room full of media, whether it's a one-on-one situation, whether it's on the bench during the game, he loves to talk hockey. And I would imagine that probably, you know, rubs off on the players as well. Like he, he loves the game. He, he's a great, great hockey mind. You go into any one of his press conferences and you walk away learning so much. Like we joke around as broadcasters, he makes our job way too easy. <laughs> Because uh, you could sit through a press conference and you have everything. It's almost like you have everything you need to say during the, the entire game because he just gave you like such specific, um, you know, systematic mm-hmm. thoughts like throughout the entire any conversation you have with them. So um, I think just, you know, the again, the buy in from the players right from the get go tells you how much uh, respect they have for him. Uh, and it, honestly, his systems also worked really quickly. The team got off to a really hot start. Then they mm-hmm. had a little bit of a dip and then they were really consistent through uh, the whole second half of the season. But I definitely think it helped him that, you know, right off the hop, they were ripping off some win streaks uh, that I, that probably makes the buy in easier because they're, they're seeing the rewards of that system paying off. But uh, it's definitely been uh, really cool uh, to watch him succeed. Uh, not necessarily. uh abnormal I guess we saw so many new head coaches come in and have success this year uh but you certainly can't take any credit away from him uh for what he's done because it's been really incredible to watch now since Vegas has come into the league they've only like you mentioned missed the playoffs that one season it's almost like this has become the standard for them to make it in the playoffs and do well and maybe get to that final at some point going back to their their first season, but looking towards it again now. I mean, does it seem like this has become, you know, the standard for the team? It has, especially the guys who have been here. There's uh, six guys who were, you know, original misfits, as we call them. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's another guy, Zach Whitecloud, who did play, I think, two games year one, uh, but was really young. So he's not necessarily in that category, but he was part of the organization. Um, but they are not going to be satisfied until they win a cup. Uh, the city is not going to be satisfied <laughs> until they win a cup. That's for sure. Uh, you know, it's funny, you know, coming from, you know, working for a team previously um, who it took 50 years to win their first cup. Uh, it's funny to see how. Uh, hungry this city is. Um, I don't want to call them spoiled from the get-go because spoiled has a negative connotation from it, but 
uh, what they did year one was just so magical, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so whether you're talking to the original misfits, like Jonathan Marsh, so is, is a player for the golden Knights who's super, super passionate, uh, super competitive. And, you know, he wears his emotion on his sleeve, every failure the team has, um, you know, it, it all, it, it motivates him. It's been motivating him year after year. And I definitely think last year, um, was a real motivator for the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were talking to Mark Stone about it even over the summer. Um, and, you know, I think every conversation that people had with them about not making it or where they fell short or how even coming into this year, a lot of people thought they would be a wild card team. And there were some people who thought they would miss the playoffs again uh, based on the roster on paper, which is funny because, like I said, you you realize how small the margin is because as team employees and as broadcasters, we were looking at the roster on paper thinking this team can really do it. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely become the standard here. Uh, but they definitely uh, are not satisfied. They want to get to the mm-hmm. next step. I think management has done a really, really good job um, giving the team the depth that they need to get to the next step. And now it's kind of just uh, wait and see. I think this next series is going to be a really good one. I hope it is um, for the viewers' sake because, you know, playoff hockey is uh, <laughs> fun to watch. But it's definitely been a successful postseason for the Golden Knights so far. You talk about having previously been with an organization that, you know, made it to the Stanley Cup. That was St. Louis for you. How exciting is it for you again, being back in a position where you could potentially see that cup in the future? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's totally different. You know, it's a totally different group. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess I was Alex Petrangelo and Ivan Barbashev were both members of the St. Louis Blues back then. Um, so, you know, Obviously, I want the team to win for a lot of reasons, but I, it would be really, really cool to witness those two win another cup up close and personal. Um, it's it's exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm more excited, obviously, for the players and for the city. I think that people underestimate how much of a hockey city Las Vegas has become. Uh, from the second I moved here, like it is Golden Knights stuff everywhere. Like <laughs> like one of every three cars that drives by has a Golden Knights license plate. Um, anyone I meet in the community, uh, that is from here, you know, there's obviously a lot of transplants that live in Vegas, but Mm -hmm. almost anyone I meet who is from here just talks about how the, the golden Knights completely changed the city. And a lot of it is, um, that year one happened. Um, the opening night was just days after the October one shooting here in Vegas. And they Mm -hmm. truly feel like this team brought the city together. And it's not just, you know, it's not just it doesn't just make for a good story like people who are from here and who were here and are part of it, like genuinely feel that way. So it would definitely be cool to be part of it again. Obviously, <laughs> I am hopeful that that will happen. But more than anything, I would just be so thrilled for this city um, to get that opportunity. And, you know, for their first uh, real, I guess, professional sports team that they've all really been able to to rally behind, it would be really cool to watch them get to celebrate that. Now, one of those key pieces, it seems, has been the Jack Eichel acquisition and the journey that he's had to finally get to the Stanley Cup playoffs. And how much of a leader have you seen him emerge as through this playoffs? He is for sure. Uh, (laughs) A, in the playoffs, he's emerged um, as a leader on the ice, obviously, on both sides of the puck. Um, There's always been questions surrounding Jack Eichel. There's always been questions on... Um, if he's, uh, if he is even a leader, which is wild after watching him, uh, especially this last calendar year. Now, uh, he played his first game with Vegas in February of last season. So there wasn't, and then they didn't make the playoffs. So there wasn't really that much time 
room to get acquainted with the new teammates. He's walking into a new NHL locker room for the first time. Uh, and there was definitely nothing negative that he brought to the table then. But seeing how comfortable he was from the beginning of the season this year, he is just as happy for every other player to have success as he is for himself to have success. Um, he's one, one of the guys that, you know, he doesn't joke around with us, the media very often, but he's definitely a guy that keeps things light in the room. Um, uh, an infectious personality that a lot of the guys uh, really, really gravitate toward. Uh, and then on the ice, there was the questions this year, like, oh, yeah, Jack Eichel's great, but he doesn't play, he doesn't defend, or how is he going to be your top center if he can't? And, you know, Bruce Cassidy admitted when he when he took over that he didn't know what to expect from that standpoint, but mm -hmm. multiple times throughout the season and through the playoffs, he's called him arguably the team's best defensive forward. Um, William Carlson and Mark Stone or two others, but that's something that, you know, people didn't expect from Jack Eichel. Uh, mm -hmm. And he he answers those questions. And then there is the, oh, he's, you know, can do all this in the regular season. Can he do it in the playoffs? Well, we've seen, uh, you know, what the numbers that he's put up through both rounds of the playoffs, not to mention um, last year, he's being against Connor McDavid, who's a guy, you know, Jack doesn't love to talk about the narrative of them being the first and second overall picks and, you know, how he's always going to be compared to Connor McDavid. He doesn't like talking about that narrative because it was so long ago. Mm -hmm. But he gets up when, when those two go head to head, he tends to get up for it. So uh, it's been really, really cool to see him have success, answer some of those questions. And uh, you mentioned the leadership. I think that's um, stands out more than almost anything else. He's one of, if not the last guy on the ice every day for practice. Um, he works so hard and he wants to win so bad, not just for himself, but for the team, too. So. Uh, that's certainly something that's been uh, exciting to watch. And I know Vegas fans really like him as well. Now, maybe one of the surprises through this playoffs has been Aiden Hill in the net as the goaltender. Yeah. You talked about all the injuries that the goaltenders have faced with the team this year, all the different guys that have been in net. But for him, how much support has he been able to give to that back end through the, the playoffs for Vegas? You know, it's really impressive the way he jumped in uh, for a few reasons. He was he was injured for, I, I, I believe, March 8th was the last regular season game he had played. He was injured. Mm -hmm. um, and then he went and played just two periods with the Henderson Silver Knights in the AHL. It was planned out that he was only going to play two periods, but it's kind of it's just a conditioning stint, basically. They wanted to get him a couple periods in in case they ended up meeting him in the playoffs. He comes back in his first, like, playoff start was two months since he had played and actually played an NHL game. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, you're jumping in against the Edmonton Oilers, like the most dynamic <laughs> offense in the National Hockey League by a mile um, and in a playoff scenario. Um, it's been super impressive the way he came in. Um, he came in relief for the third period. I believe it was game two. And then game three, he also came in relief, but in the first period, because that is when Lauren Brossois um, was injured and he shut it down the rest of that game. Super impressive. Um, and even like you look at game six, um, when, when the golden Knights clinched the series, he gave up the first two shots of the game, which immediately mm. you're like, uh Oh, you know, <laughs> is this gonna, and then he, you know, goes on, um, doesn't allow any others, makes some unbelievable saves on against some unbelievable players like Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, the list goes on and on. Um, but it has been super impressive. Uh, and it's hard, uh, it's not a discredit to Aiden in any way, but it's crazy how we've seen goalies step up like Lauren. He took over for Lauren Brossois, and that was an incredible mm -hmm. story in itself because he had battled injury. Honestly, was probably like I, coming into the season, people 
thought Brossois and Logan Thompson would probably split the net probably close to 50-50, depending on if anyone separated themselves. Um, and then Brossois ended up getting stuck uh, at the AHL level for a while because both Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill were playing so well. Um, it's just the carousel has been nuts. Everyone mm-hmm. who has stepped in has done a really good job. Um, this is not taking credit away from them, but it is said that Bruce Cassidy plays a goalie-friendly system as well. Uh, having said that, you see some of the stops that Aiden Hill made uh, in game six, and it's like, okay, you can throw that throw that out the window. He gets all the credit for that game, right? So uh, it is really impressive. You hope that they keep it up. And I honestly think in a lot of ways that internal competition uh, throughout the season, uh, like from the very get-go, like there's three goalies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brassois was still recovering from surgery, but it was like, okay, there's three goalies who really are fighting for a starting spot here. None of the three of them have ever had a starting spot. And I think that internal competition kind of got all three of them ready for, for when the time came. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully he keeps it going, but yeah, it, it's been really cool uh, to see him embrace the opportunity as well. So Vegas and Dallas will be a rematch from the 2020 bubble year. What are yeah. you expecting to see from the golden Knights in this conference finals? I think it's going to be a, a really good series. Bruce Cassidy <laughs> did make some comparisons, uh, between Dallas and Edmonton offensively, mm. especially just sim- like the way their lineup is structured, especially. Um, but Bruce Cassidy does feel like it's going to be more difficult to get some of the net front opportunities, which were the biggest difference for Vegas, uh, in round two, like guys like Jonathan Marsh. So were left all alone, um, you know, in front of the net, able, able to capitalize on some of those opportunities. Um, you obviously have the storyline of uh, former Golden Knights head coach, Pete DeBoer, which is who Bruce Cassidy took over for, uh, he's coaching for the stars now, obviously. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that is you have. Uh, Pete DeBoer and Steve Spot, uh, who was also his assistant when he was in Vegas on the Dallas bench. And then on the Vegas bench, you have Bruce Cassidy, but you also have John Stevens, who is a, a, an assistant coach who was with Dallas just last year. Mm. And then you have um, Misha Donskov and Ryan Craig or two Golden Knights assistant coaches who coached, you know, the seasons under Pete DeBoer when he was in Vegas. So you have two teams that at least from behind the benches know each other really, really well. Um, so I think that's going to make things challenging on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Aiden Hill. I think it's a chance for him to, you know, continue to make a name for himself because mm-hmm. you know, uh, people are going to talk a lot about Jake Ottinger and, you know, he has the ability to come in and steal games. Um, we saw, you know, a few not, so, not as great outings from him um, in round right. two. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he comes up in, uh, here in the conference final, but I think goaltending is definitely going to be a story to watch. Obviously, um, something I think that again, I talked about the internal competition with the Vegas goaltenders. I think that's something that Aiden Hill is going to get up for. Uh, he's a he, he's a guy who says he likes the moment. That's what he is. Mm. That's what he said to us before. So I think it's a chance for him to say, "Oh, you guys want to talk about how Jake Ottinger can steal a game? So can I." <laughs> so I think that's something that he'll get up for for sure. Uh, I'm excited about it. I think. Uh, even like from an individual standpoint, um, the back in 2019 as well. So the, you talked about Vegas and Dallas in the bubble in 2020. The previous year, um, Alex Petrangelo uh, and Ivan Barbashev were both members of the St. Louis Blues. And that was a heated series between the St. Louis Blues and the Dallas Stars. It went to seven games. It was a double overtime finish. Mm-hmm. Like So I, I definitely uh, expect just some heat I guess between some of those players as well I think there's plenty of built-in rivalry here so yeah I'm excited for it I wish 
uh, we didn't have to uh, wait so long between series. <laughs> that waiting is always the hardest part. But then again, I'm not the one out there, you know, laying body checks and blocking <laughs> shots and all that. So I'm sure the players are happy to have the break. On the other side, with the Eastern Conference final between the Panthers and the Hurricanes, have you been watching the Eastern Conference as much as obviously probably not as the West, but are you keeping an eye on what that series could look like as well? Oh, yeah. I've tried <laughs> to watch as much hockey as I possibly can from the first round. I had uh, two screens set up in the living room at one point because that first round, there's just so much going mm-hmm. on um, with you know, about 30 minutes, like offset between games, mm-hmm. overtime's going on, trying to catch it all. But uh, yeah, I'm interested. I, it's all, I don't, you know, no one expected to have neither Boston or Toronto uh, in the conference final at, at this point. So it's kind of crazy, but I, I think it has the makings of a really good series still. I really mm-hmm. do. Uh, Carolina is obviously a, a really good team. That's really hard to play against. In Florida, you just you never know what a team's going to do when they get hot at the right time. Right. And there's just so much built in like emotion and momentum that that's that's really fun to watch. It's been uh, it's been fun to watch Matthew Kachuk put on the show that he's put on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I will definitely I have been watching. I will definitely continue to watch and even more so than the Western Conference. Uh, I hope that that, you know, that's one that you. When you work for a team, you're not necessarily hoping that the Western Conference one goes to seven. You hope that we win any any way that we can. Uh, but when it comes to the East, I'm like, oh, yeah, go to seven games, go to overtime. I want the best uh, best matchup and best hockey uh, that we can have. So I think that'll be fun. Um, I think that most people, I'm sure most people out of Carolina winning that one, uh, understandably. I think on paper, that's probably what you lean toward. Uh, but you just never know. That's why it's the best mm-hmm. time of year. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today on Duck Stream. Good luck to the team and enjoy the conference finals. Thanks, Alexis. And now it's time for my final quack for this episode, where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. Enjoy your weekend and enjoy the hockey that's taking place. Going to be, like I said, some great playoff hockey between these four teams that are remaining. And one of the key factors that I want to leave you with Three of the four head coaches that are left in these conference finals are first-year head coaches. Only Rod Brindamore, the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, has been there more than just one season, whereas you look at the Florida Panthers, the Vegas Golden Knights, and the Dallas Stars, all there with first-year head coaches. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again next week for more Hockey Talk on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duck Stream.